Hello, everybody. Um, and hello, Evan. Uh, hello, Cam, and hello, everybody. Um, welcome back to Left on Red. Um, it's episode yeah. 79. Yes. Uh, last week, we, we uh, talked a bit about how that was episode 79, and like immediately after finishing, we are like, wait, fuck, that was 78. So this yeah. week is 79. It's labeled. Oh, no, it's it labeled. When you were... Yeah, yeah, it's labeled correctly, but we, we do talk about it for like a minute, how it's episode 79. Yeah. We lied. Yeah, because I think we hadn't decided yet if we were going to count the Eyes of Argon as a numbered well, no, episode. Well, we already hadn't. We already hadn't counted it, because it was already up. I was going to. You, you actually insisted that we not, so... Uh, no, so we didn't, and then you went ahead. We and, can retroact, and then you went, and then you went ahead and numbered yours seventy nine anyway. And you know what well, I've learned? Was. You know what I've well, learned doing this up this show is that well, when it comes to stuff like that, like numbering minutia of titling, like whether to use a semicolon or not, you care, yeah. and you will always care. Not only more you know, than me, but so much more than me that that I I. We'll never fight you on anything like that, probably I think, ever again. I think we should be consistent, whether it's right. You know, consistent. One, we should how we spell how we spell. We should be part, consistent you know, along the lines that you like. Like that's that's. Well, no, no. I, I, I we have changed the numbering system. You, uh, based you, on, you know, you have changed the numbering system. <laughs> no, you have. You, you were the one who said that you wanted to go to Roman numerals, and I followed you on that one, and I started doing that as well. That was you, huh. sir. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, so I can't have cared that much. Um, well, anyway, uh, yeah, welcome. So we are, it's episode 79, and, um, you know, the last few episodes, we've had a lot of stuff in the works. We've been talking about having stuff in the works, and now some of the stuff in the works is here. Uh, we're going to yes. start doing, we got a lot of shit. I think March and April, we're going to be, yeah, we're going to be trundling right along with, uh, big juicy boys for you so yeah the big beef boys <clears throat> coming thank you guys for hanging on and listening to all the goofy shit that we do to have fun and keep cranking out eps um yep and also sorry i guess we sort of did we i guess when, by the time this comes out we'll have sort of skipped sort of skipped a week so whatever anyway this will be out we, we missed a week sorry we missed a week we work jobs bad. and shit happens, you know. But I think already we're off to a much better track than we were last year. Last year was the year of missing yeah. weeks, and uh, this year uh, I think we're we're on track to have many more episodes. So um, mm -hmm. I'm excited about this one because I think that I've alluded to wanting to do this series of episodes probably multiple times on air, but like many many times off air. Um, yep. And so it's finally here, and uh, you will, I guess, by now know because you've clicked the title that this one's going to be about the Mongols, um, not the motorcycle yes. club, but the the people. Um, yes, the people that <clears throat> had the killing crescent that killed things. Well, so that's actually we can talk about that later. But I've always been, I I'd never heard anybody say killing crescent except for you, like ever. And, yeah. but I, you know, because you're a, a fucking huge dork, I just sort of was like, okay, that's probably a thing. Like, I'm not going to like yeah. G check Evan on the that, killing. I person. heard that in college. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I figured. And yeah. so I still like, I've been like looking for it. Like I've been like, yeah, I've, I've, you can't even Google it. So mm -hmm. I think that that's just a cool ass term that one of your professors invented. It may have been, um, uh, I'm trying to think. So, like, I never had, like, a Mongol history class. 
So I'm trying to think where I would have heard it when we talked about like the different Connets. Um, I, I don't remember who it would have been. Yeah, I guess maybe we can try to figure out it off air. But yeah, yeah, totally. No, that's uh. So I think I I think I know, and we'll talk more about this in later episodes. I think I know what the Killing Crescent is probably referring to, but it's yeah. It, as far as I can tell, it's like not a thing. So I'm 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 actually anxious because I don't think you invented it. I'm I'm assuming one of our professors no. or your professors might have coined it, and mm-hmm. it's a badass term. And I want to I want to use it, <laughs> but I don't know that there's like a precedent for it. So I don't really know what yeah, to call. Yeah, it. maybe. Maybe it was some nerdy thing one of my nerdy professors said. Yeah, like it was like it was like a killing crescent, you know, and like I don't yeah. know. Um, but I, I digress. Remember it multiple times, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, again, for me, it's only ever been like a you thing. It's like whenever the, the Mongols yeah. come up, like without fail, you say killing crescent, and so I've always just been kind of like, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've just I don't know where it's from. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we're gonna talk about the Mongols. Um. But yeah, I mean, was there anything that you wanted to talk about before we dive in? Because I mean, I've got a pretty beefy up here. I can we can do that, but we don't have to do that. So there definitely was. I'm so I'm trying. I'm try, I forgot to make a note of it in my phone. There was something. Yeah. That I wanted to talk about. What the fuck happened this week? I don't know. I'm like I can't remember. I Bro, I barely exist on planet Earth uh, for the last like, couple at years. This point, so yeah, I don't fucking know. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> I like. If I want to talk about something on the podcast, I need to make a note on my phone or I'll forget until this moment. Yeah. I'll be like, I'm get well, and especially well, you know I mean? <laughs> like ones that I write, I, I don't even come in with anything because yeah. I'm usually, you know, an hour or so before the show, I'm like back going through my notes, like fine tuning shit. So I, yeah. I've i got nothing. I've Well, I've got, you know, an hour and 15 minutes worth of things, but it's all, <laughs> it's yeah. not nothing current. Um, I mean, oh, there, we there saw like three or f- we saw well, a cocaine bear. Yeah. Um, um, but um, I uh, uh, there has been like three or four more fucking trains around, it's including by North Norfolk Southern. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, let's uh, you know, throw a uh, you know, R.I.P. in pieces to the dogs, uh, the dogs in the dog shelters around um, Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, chasing, just wiping away the tears and grabbing the car keys to go grab another unlucky uh, pup. <laughs> 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 um. <laughs> yeah i don't know i, I don't I, so i'm not familiar with that bit like we've talked yeah. about it on here before um and it it bums know, me out so much to even joke are. about that like i just you know whatever you can talk about that <laughs> yeah no, i don't like to joke about killing well. dogs it makes me too sad <laughs> i uh but, did you see that little stupid fucking thing i sent you earlier I haven't watched it yet. It's no, dude. It's well. it is so. I was so fucking mad at myself because it started and I was like, "Oh, what the fuck is it?" And then I was like, by the end of it, I was just like laughing my fucking stupid little idiot head off. Some weirdo well, wrote like a song and did like a silly voice about how you got to give your dog cheese every time you open your fridge, and like, on the one hand, I'm like, <laughs> "All right, this fucking I know I know that like a human man." is doing this voice and anthropomorphizing this dog. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, pay the cheese tax. Like, it's, I was so, here, you know what? I'm just going to play you the song on air. And then if it ends up sounding like shit, we just won't include it. Um, because I, I really Professional fucking, production sound. I really fucking liked it. And uh, plus also this way I can give credit. Golden Bear Ollie, which I'm assuming is, uh, I'm assuming is the name of the, uh, 
the account here and it's their dog. They have this golden retriever and it's a little video of this dog eating cheese. So this Dude, like, okay, but you gotta also see this fucking dog. Like, he's this—he's so cute, and like, he's just got cheese all over him. He's fucking going nuts. And there's something about that yeah. voice when he says, "You gotta pay the tax." I'm like, dude, that's how a dog would talk. <laughs> um, well, dude, Man. I was—I mean, like, speaking of dog videos, I was cracking up about that little dog last week that I sent you. That was just destroying dead trees in the woods and shit. Oh my god, yeah, that that was that was so funny. Cause, like, I just had a. Yeah, because I just had, like, a world destruction by a uh, time zone just came, like, searing into my head while I was while I was watching this, like, dog yeah. just absolutely fucking annihilate dead trees and sticks and, like, snow and shit like that. When it, the, the slow motion, when he tackles the fucking snowman in slow motion, I was dying. Yeah, no, that, that was that was a hell of a video. That really was. It was a hell of a video. <laughs> and, and that dog, yeah. like, it was, like, taking down trees. <laughs> like whole trees it was it was stella her name was stella and she fucking hated trees yeah just she was on like a vendetta that's what happened to the entwives yeah <laughs> stella happened all right well yeah so um anyway i got some picard to watch so okay okay buddy yeah Where's we can we show? can definitely blaze through this for you so you can go get what go watch your nerd show uh yep so let's get started let's uh Let's start the Let's show. Let's start the folks this is this is the big one (laughs) (laughs) um associated there for a second yeah yeah that's i mean whatever dude i uh, that's my just state of being these days i'm i'm fully fully checked out um so this is the show that i've talked about making for two years um it's a series that i have basically always wanted to make but i just i just haven't um and i'm not like 100 percent sure why Excuse me, but I think, I think largely like the main reason that I haven't wanted to do this yet, even though this is like my favorite, like like bar none, my favorite topic to discuss in the realm of history, um, is just because because it's my favorite. And like when we started this show, we were so green, and like I wasn't do it right. Yeah, I wasn't confident that I could make a series on this topic that I would be proud of. 
both in terms of production, but also just like writing, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, as Evan and I said at the start of the year, we've both basically written a small book at this point. And um, mm-hmm. not that I think and that no. I am. <laughs> what? I was going to say, yeah, and practice makes perfect. I mean, right. at this point, like, I remember I used to be, like, so nervous starting to write the episodes. I was like, I'm going to go, how do I even get, like, six yeah. pages written? And now it's just like, I don't know, like, I have my, like, I literally have a fucking stack of books yeah. on top of, like, at all times, on top of my PC tower. And it's just like, like, I just sit down and just bang out, like, ten pages. Yeah, know? yeah. Not, you know, it take, takes, like, hours, but, I mean, like, yeah. now I know, you know, I have, like, a method now i'm sure you do as well exactly yeah and and i hadn't done anything like this since college so you know it was a real learning curve um but yeah no i mean i I, you know i think what is this a 13 page episode i don't even know what it says something like that and um i that's uh, on your shorter side honestly yeah a lot of the times my well because i tend to write my episodes more like scripts i think than evan does so like there's a lot of filler in my pages so whatever it is what it is um but This is, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm just so excited and I feel like so happy to finally feel like I can kind of create a series of episodes about the Mongol conquests that I stick to. So, you know, Evan, we, we all have like our favorite things. Um, Evan and I both love ancient Rome. You guys know I love Mesoamerica. Evan loves talking about the CIA, like cracking people's skulls. Um, mm-hmm. This is far and away like of my things. This is This is my thing. So, <clears throat> I obviously have other projects underway. We kind of talked about that at the start. Um, but I just felt like, you know, we're in year three. So, it's finally time. And so, I'm going yep. to gonna do a series of episodes on the Mongol conquests um, of the 12th and 13th centuries. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to end up talking about uh, the big boy, uh, the number one, the king of kings, Chinggis Khan or Genghis Khan. It's Chinggis. It is Chinggis. Yeah, it's Chinggis. But so I'm gonna say Chinggis most of the time. But we might say Genghis. So it might come out. It might slip out. Mm-hmm. Just like sometimes you might say, might say Chungus. Might say BC or AD. <laughs> you know, we're we're CE and BCE boys. But like sometimes you just yeah. slip into your old forms of speech. Um, so we're gonna talk about Chinggis, how he sort of forged uh, an, an unprecedented uh, land empire, um, the sort of meteoric rise of that empire and then the sort of long slow collapse um and then just sort of like the the massive monster influence that all of this which really happens over the course of like 100 to 150 years it's like a pretty quick blip uh in terms of you know history um but it it just forever alters basically everything that it touches um every culture um the global economy. I mean, there's theories, you know, people have probably all heard this, that it like changed the climate of the planet. Like it's, it's just, you know, he killed so many people that the temperature of the earth dropped like (laughs) insane. Um, and I don't know how true that is, but it, it just goes to show like how far reaching the implications of this were. Um, so it's a big topic and there's a lot that I kind of want to get through. Um, I spent a good bit of time just working on kind of an outline for, for this series um, and kind of how I want to tackle it without it being 10 episodes, which, you know, I never do, but um, I definitely don't want to do it now. Um, <laughs> so originally I had the, the sort of obvious thought of starting with the birth uh, in circa 1162 CE of our main character, kind of, um, Temujin, who's the cute little Mongolian baby who's going to grow up to become the scourge of God himself, Chinggis Khan. 
but I kept coming back to the fear that I wasn't going to be able to kind of properly contextualize why any of those succeeding events really mattered uh, without providing some sort of initial like cultural, religious, geopolitical context for the world into which young Temujin arrives. So I started writing this episode thinking that I would just sort of like go with the narrative of his life and then inject some of this cultural stuff. But really quickly, I found myself getting like bogged down in the little tidbits. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, I think it makes more sense to just kind of do an entire episode where we talk about the world in 1162, um, who the Mongols are. Series creep is real, dude. Yeah, dude, it's insane. Um, and so a lot of the times in the past, I, this is another example of like learning how to write. <clears throat> A lot of the times in the past, especially with like ancient Rome stuff, like the Caesar episode, part of what got me so off track with that was that I got really bogged down in trying to inject cultural background or or context as I was going through the narrative. And I just don't know that I'm like that good of a writer. Uh, um, so for this, I'm trying something a little different. And we're just going to kind of do an episode first where we just talk about like the world in 1162 well mainly the world that's going to largely be affected by this narrative so not the whole world but big chunks of it um and the the people involved and you know all the kind of moving parts that are then in part two of the series going to kind of coalesce together so yes um so like i said we're going to kind of figure out who the mongols are and then why they were able to kind of change everything in the world. So without wasting any more time, um, let's let's do it. Let's head back in time. Uh, it's approximately 1162. Let's meet the Mongol inside of all of us. Yeah, you know? which... Uh, the inner Mongol. Well, that's another thing. Uh, you know, when I talked about him changing the, the climate, um, theoretically, there could be a little Mongol in all of us because of this. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, we, all, we all got a little tiny sliver of Mongol yeah. DNA. Yeah. If, if you're of East Asian descent, you are almost certainly yeah. uh, related in some capacity to, yeah. to Chinggis and his family. Um, and if you're of European descent and Middle Eastern descent, there's an increased likelihood for sure. Um, there was a lot of a lot of spreading around of yeah. DNA. Um, and not super. Chingus fucked and did some other things. Uh, yeah, he wasn't always super chill. <laughs> some about forced it. fucking. Yeah. He wasn't always chill about it. But yeah. uh, he's not a good dude. You know, nobody's making. No, no, that. nobody will ever mistake him for being a good. Well, dude. some of these revisionist people. So one of the main sources I use for this is is definitely a revisionist text. Um, and you would almost think that like the author is is <laughs> like a sicko. Yeah, like almost. And that's the thing. Like sometimes I might sound like that. Like I think people that are like real like real like chingus nerds like it and yeah. i mean mongolians like <laughs> or even think like like with rome like like i love julius caesar right. but that he was he he kind of he kind of genocide <laughs> yeah he wasn't a, he wasn't <laughs> like, like a good dude it's kind of like it's different like looking back on it like two thousand years ago a guy who committed genocide yeah and it's like yeah but he was cool he had swag but then like a hundred years ago it's like mm, yeah not no not swag <laughs> yeah no um, very very yeah the, swag. The, especially i mean the, Somebody like Genghis was living in such a brutal age where, like, yeah. you can't really compare him to, like, 
when when you look at like more modern atrocities, there at least is like a sort of benchmark where it's like, okay, there are better people than this. But like in the in the Middle Ages, there just weren't. Like everyone was pretty fucked up. So he yeah. was the most fucked and, up. And also, for sure. they they knew that. You know, yeah. It, this is another thing too. Like the people at the time, like people throughout history, have always known when they're doing bad things that they're doing bad things. Yeah. This is also like one thing you know you look at with like the founding fathers. Like, well, it was a different time. It's like, listen. They knew slavery was bad back then, yeah. bro. They just made money off of it. Yeah. So they didn't give a shit. Yeah. It, you know it, I mean? it, it's, I mean, there is definitely like a different context. Like, you know, for example, like if you look at like the Vikings who were, were slavers, um, and I think a lot of people like to gloss over that, but like one of the main ways they made money was, was capturing and selling slaves. But they really yeah. did view like um, people who allowed themselves to be captured in battle as like fundamentally different than themselves. Like, you were not worthy of disdain or even like yeah, the effort but like to they, kill. I mean, they they you know, it's not like we suddenly developed consciences like sure they knew they were other people or something like that that they were subjugating people. Yeah, um, they knew what they were. I doing guess I would bad. just they disagree. Just made that, up like, the, the idea of like right and, it benefited right them. and wrong. I don't think has always been a thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, we like we didn't just figure out that it's bad to enslave and kill people. It's just you make up justifications because it makes you money. I guess so. Like you know, what I mean, like, I guess so. But you know I do, I, mean? I do truly think. Like I don't like, know if if Genghis Khan thought it was bad to kill people. Like I don't know that he. I'm did. not. I, I'm but, saying that he just didn't care. Like, it, like you know, you know, what I mean, like there's still like as you're like slaughtering somebody, it's just he liked it. Like you know what I, I mean? Yes, but you're making like a like pretty it's like big... okay for for instance, like do you think that like the CEOs of like fossil fuel companies aren't aware that what they're doing is wrong? No, they know. No, they I'm just not don't care. making that argument. But I also actually don't even want to get bogged down in this because I have like an okay, hour's yeah. worth of shit to talk about. But um, suffice it to say, that I, I do disagree that I think that our modern morality has applied to everyone's view of the things that they did forever. I, I just And I don't even think that's like a crazy stance to take. But I digress.
So as I teased in our intro here, sometime between 1155 and 1170 CE, um, in a small impoverished cluster of yurts at the base of the Kenti, Kentii, Kentii Mountains, uh, near the icy flow of the Onon River in, in northern Mongolia, a baby boy was born. Uh, this boy was a newly minted member of a small family clan of Mongols, and his name was to be Temujin. He didn't know it yet, but he was born into a way of life and a cultural tradition that stretched back essentially into prehistory and remains, to varying degrees, in certain parts of the world to this very day. Uh, the most commonly accepted year for Temujin's birth is 1162 CE, and I suspect that this may have something to do with that year's designation in uh, many traditional East Asian calendars as the year of the horse. This is going to begin to make sense shortly, um, if you're not already kind of familiar with the, the, the subtext here and catching on. Um, <clears throat> so I want to start our exploration of Temujin's world by describing, relatively briefly, the complex and fascinating culture that he was born into. Um, now, disclaimer, just because a lot of you are nerds like me, I'm not going to give an exhaustive report of everything about the Mongols, but I'm just going to give you a quick overview in this episode of who these people were and why the, the main things that make them like so special, quote unquote, in this time and place. Um, and then there's going to be so many. There are still going to be little asides in all the episodes about individual practices, religious rights, things like that. But um, we're just going to kind of touch briefly on a few major things here. So if there's one association that anyone, um, either modern or contemporary, should make uh, or would make when you mention the word Mongol or Mongolia, uh, I think it would be to horses. Um, a close second, especially back in the day, uh, might have been to the bow, um, but we will get to that. Um, but more broadly, not just horses, I think it's the idea of like herding animals, herded animals. Um, so the Mongols were one of many cultural and ethnic groups of nomadic pastoralists that have inhabited the great Central Asian steppes basically from time immemorial. The ancient Scythians and the Huns, uh, who clashed with the Romans, were of a similar ilk, and truly it appears that the lifestyles of those herding peoples didn't really change a whole lot over the centuries between Attila the Hun and Temujin. Uh, the basic formula for survival for peoples inhabiting these vast expanses of Eurasian grasslands is fairly straightforward. Um, but that's not to suggest sort of a lack of depth or cultural complexity. It's just a really tried and true method of surviving in, in a really difficult part of the earth to make a living in. Because you see, the Eurasian steppe is completely massive. Um, it's flat. And it's fairly geographically uniform, particularly in its interior, like where the Mongols are from. The Mongol homeland itself, which is in which in the middle of the 12th century was only a small, like northern corner of the modern state of Mongolia, uh, was bordered on the north by mountains. Uh, as I mentioned, the Kenti Mountains are part of that mountain range, and the vast frozen tundra of Siberia, and to the south, beyond the lands of neighboring tribes, by the Gobi Desert and then the vast holdings of imperial China. And then obviously there's just like step to the west and ocean to the east. They were, because of this, they were pretty much literally hemmed into a vast empty space where the one resource upon which they could always depend was grass, basically an unlimited supply of grass. So steppe peoples, uh, including the Mongols, uh, exploit this one resource to absolute maximum effect by moving these vast herds of sheep and goats and, and probably most importantly horses uh, across their territory. 
Now, these herds provided the bulk of the raw materials that the tribes used, not only for sustenance, because they eat them um, and use their milk and whatever, um, <clears throat> but for trade, for crafting. Basically, the herd that any given Mongol kept was the center of their world. Uh, we're going to talk more about Temujin's specific family, uh, the Borjigan clan, in the next part of this series. But suffice it to say that out of a greater group of people that lived a hard life in an inhospitable land, uh, the Borjigids lived the hardest life in probably the worst part of Mongol territory. So he's not coming from like, he's not a Nepo baby. Um, he's, he's, he's growing up in a fucking brutal part of the earth and when we talk about his childhood you're gonna realize pretty it's cold as fuck there dude. well it gets cold as fuck and it's the lombatar the uh the coldest uh uh country capital on earth i believe really yeah that makes sense uh ulaanbaatar yeah, is, like is i'm trying to think of where it is in relation to this but off the top of my head i can't so i guess i won't worry yeah. about it um <clears throat> So they're a part of the Khalkha subgroup of Mongols, which to this day are by far the largest of the subdivisions culturally among the Mongols, sometimes referred to as, quote, true Mongols. Uh, the three main other subgroups are the Oirats, the Buryats, and the Kalmiks, uh, with many other smaller groups and subdivisions recognized under the broader, broader uh, Mongol umbrella. These groups had different lands, uh, traditions, and sort of slightly different ways of life that differentiated them, but generally fell into a cultural pattern that was recognizably Mongol. Um, the cognate to this that I um, generally like look at is like when you talk about like the Norsemen or the Vikings, the main mm -hmm. three groups, obviously, you have the Swedes, the Danes, and the Norse, the Norwegians. Yep. Um, and they are distinct from one another, but... Compared to everyone else around them, they are very obviously all, you know, uh, Scandinavian. Um, there might be similar similarities to the Finns or or to some of the the, um, the Baltic Yeeps. peoples, but or the Saxons in England, right? But ultimately, they're distinct enough to be their own sort of subgroup. Um, <clears throat> And so in this context, you know, they're surrounded by people like the Jurchens or the Manchus, who are also steppe people and have a lot of, of similar characteristics, but are, are very clearly not Mongols. The one unifying feature of their Mongol identity, um, and again, some of these other groups had varying degrees of, of relation to this, but um, the Mongols generally traditionally fo followed some form of Tengriism which is an ancient Turco-Mongol religion that had many regional variants and practices, but generally focused on the worship of the supreme sky god, whose name was Tengri. Uh, CK two heads will know Tengriism. What? CK two heads will know Tengriism. CK three heads too. It's in, it's in CK three. Yeah. Oh yeah, I haven't done any horse stuff. In it's CK3, it's not super but... exciting, but you can do it. Um, I'm waiting yeah. for some. Some Mongol yeah, no, there was the Horse shit. Lords DLC in CK2 that really expanded upon Mongol shit. Yeah, I definitely want that. Like, bad. Yeah. You know. So if you live in a flat grassland surrounded on all sides by endless blue sky, it seems kind of normal to maybe start to assume that that sky is, I don't know, some kind of supreme being, like, watching over everything. Uh, Tengriism is a sh shema shamanic. How do you say that word? Shem they have shamans. I mean, I think it's. I, th I think for like American English, it's shamanic, right? Shamanic. Yeah, but the, like if it's like British English, like shamanic, say like shaman. It's a shamanic. Shaman it's a shamanic, shamanic religion. Yeah, a shaman. Yeah. I always just think of the mighty Bush um, with Nabu yeah, the Enigma and the shaman juice. 
which yeah. has to be held up under the light of a full moon. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I, th- I would I would say shamanic. Okay. So Tengerism is a shamanic, highly shaman- spiritual. No, <laughs> it's not, not shamanic. shamanic. <laughs> um, highly spiritual religion, not at all centralized. And as I said, there's hardly one like uniform method of worship. But in 1162, most true Mongol people were still followers of the eternal blue sky. Uh, there were Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and Jews. Uh, among the steppe people and certain Mongols. Uh, but in the heartland, this had yet to sort of permeate nearly as much as it's about to in the coming century, century and a half. What's up, Khazars? Right. Um, <laughs> so truthfully, the idea of a Mongol, quote, nation did not really exist. Uh, and we will see the unbelievable capacity for cultural and religious syncretism that these people possessed in later episodes. So don't get too bogged down in the details of, like, the different groups. Just know uh, that the Mongols were far from a unified polity um, and this is plays super heavily into their way of life in fact um, for much of their history leading up to the rise of Chinggis inter-mongol warfare uh, and war with neighboring steppe tribes was was one of the main occupations of a steppe nomad aside from caring for the herd occasional trade and just sort of the daily demands of like life in the grasslands they're fighting each other all the fucking time but again you know history shows that when these groups unite uh, they could be absolutely... It is fucking bad It's news. just bad news for everybody. Um, and we'll explain why in a little bit, but but the fact remains that that like, uniting part, getting them all together, is actually like a pretty tough sell. Um, and, it, and not just anybody. People try it. There are you know people that kind of manage it on, on limited levels. Um, and we'll talk about some of that uh, in the next episode in this series. But um, <clears throat> it's hard to do. And if you're at this point seeing like connections to... like. I always, this always makes me think of like Dune and the Fremen, um, or like yeah. the the what are they called the Sar- Sardukar who live on Solusus yeah, Secundus. Like yeah. the idea that this is really a thing that Frank Herbert I think was big on. Well, yeah, the Sardukar throat sing as well, right? Um, <laughs> the idea that like under certain circumstances in certain environments, you know, the pressure creates diamonds, right? And like mm-hmm. you get these people that are just like so perfectly adapted to a certain skill set. Um, that when they are inevitably, like, unleashed upon an unsuspecting population, they just prove completely unmatched in every capacity. No one's ready for them. Um, and the Mongols are just, are just that, right? So anytime you see, like, in history, one of these examples, like, the Vikings are another good cognate, right? They're always fighting each other. And they're always just fucking, like, they're just practicing. They're just sitting around, like, brooding in, like, an awful part of the world. Like, they don't have anything. And so they just get good at, like, a couple things. And what they got really good at was, like, building these fucking sick boats and, like, coastal raiding. (laughs) And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, fuck, we can do this everywhere? And then for 150 years, 200 years, it's just like there's no stopping them. And so the Mongols are kind of a similar thing where it's just like, wait, we can, like, do this against other people and then like all bets are off like it's just <laughs> it's just it's fucked for the foreseeable future so not to change the subject but i was literally just waiting for you you so for the listener at home cam was just like holding this like double a battery in his hand like a like a cigarette and i was just like waiting for you to take a drag <laughs> oh was i holding it like that yeah, and then you, like, you tug it in between your fingers, yeah. and you literally just had your thumb there, I... like you're ashing a cigarette, but it's just like a double-A battery. Yeah. I was just waiting for you to suck the business end of that. <laughs> um, I do I do like a cigarette. Uh, I haven't had one in a long time, but I do like one. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was a little subconscious. Yeah, I think, yeah. A little, little bit of a fixation. It's just a great yeah. way to hold your hand, honestly. 
Yeah, seriously. Yeah, just a uh, cigarette just goes so well in between two fingers. It sure does. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm sorry, but if you don't like cigarettes, like, what are you, a nerd? <laughs> yeah. Fucking dork. Like, people that vape, like, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> Could get a pack of reds, dude. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure we should be drawing the ire of the vape crowd. I think that might be a that big m- demographic. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> ugh. Ugh. Vaping is super cool, and you guys are awesome. Yeah, we you guys are you. great. Enjoy your popcorn lung, you fucking goose eggs. Um, so as you go back to holding it like that. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so right next to your mouth. Too. So the Mongols are nomadic pastoralists, like many other steppe peoples throughout human history. And like other steppe peoples, they had two tools at their disposal that evolved from everyday needs to become absolutely pivotal to their eventual dominance over uh, dominance on the global scale. 
These were, of course, their perfection and mastery of the recurve bow and the total integration into their culture of horses. Um, and I'm going to talk about that second one first. I don't know why I did it in that order. So we're going to do it. Yep. So the Mongols Tuck were not the we'll first people to tame and ride horses, uh, though that did almost certainly occur on the Eurasian steppe among their distant ancestors. Um, horses are from that part of the world. Actually, horses originally are from the, the Americas. I don't know if you yeah, know this. Americas, yeah, Americas, uh, yeah. Yeah, because you had the terror birds that were yeah. like basically like in between like modern birds and dinosaurs. They were just like giant, like flightless feathered birds that would straight up eat horses. Yeah. That's how big they were. And so they all fled over you land look bridges up, into Europe cool and whatever. But the first, the first like modern horses that interacted with humans are, are from that part of the, the world. I mean, the steppe is kind of perfectly conducive to that, um, as the Great Plains of the Americas were. And so you'll see, it's kind of funny when horses were reintroduced to the Americas. The Native Americans, who many people argue are basically the descendants of the same folks that the Mongols are descended from, yeah. um, people who crossed that land bridge. Uh, they took to horseback riding and horseback archery super quickly, and I just find that really interesting. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just like it, it was such a perfect match. It was almost like coming back home. You know what I mean? Like you, there mm-hmm. was still this like vestigial cultural affinity for these two species, you know, humans and horses, just like working together. Um, and it's just really, really fascinating because I mean, yeah. you'll think a lot when I talk about some of the practices, the the sort of shamanic practices and the warfare style of the Mongols, you might see cognates to the later, like the Plains natives and, um, man, it's just fucking cool. It's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also occasionally, uh, instances of horses riding people like that famous dude, what was it from Oregon who like got fucked to death by a horse? You remember hearing about? Oh, man. I know that's like the, that's one of the like myths about Catherine the Great is that she was ruptured oh. from within by a horse. Yeah. Uh, although I suspect that that was propaganda. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I suspect that that may that may have been some uh, anti anti Catherine nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so as I'm saying, the Mongols are not the first people to ride horses, but uh, they truly are uh, are still honestly, but were certainly among the most, like, just the most remarkable horsemen in human history. And they're part of this sort of long and glorious tradition of people from the steppe just innovating and getting better and better and better at this one thing. And so by the time the Mongols are, you know, reaching their their zenith, they are just, just about as good as it's ever been um, at riding horses. There's an old Mongol saying, uh, or a saying about the Mongols, that is akin to uh, a Mongol without a horse is like a bird without wings. And when we talk about some of the things that these these folks could do, um, you'll realize that's like it holds completely true. Um, another mm. cultural sort of adage holds that Mongol children were often in the saddle before they learned to walk. So um, <clears throat> probably not totally true, but you know they say like around two years old they started riding horses, and by six a, a, a Mongol child could generally ride on their own, and by ten they could make their own saddles and make their own tack and the horses were just more important than basically anything else and being able to you ride and care for me to ride a horse too yeah it's insane um i would not do that no it's it's not like a good idea but also makes really <laughs> good horseback riders uh, yeah. um, so they were early adopters of the modern stirrup which um really didn't catch on in europe until sort of late antiquity uh, the early middle ages like the romans didn't ride horses with stirrups um but these steppe people did the mongols did so your feet are in a thing so you can stand up in the saddle which is huge um it's, yeah. it's a massive innovation in their type of warfare um 
and in general, their horse tack is really super simple, but also kind of ingenious. And it's it's they make it all from hand. There's really like little to no metal involved because they're not great metallurgists. Um, so mm. everything's sort of just made of like knotted hide and leather. And they create these just really perfect like saddles and stirrups and bridles and bits um, that allow for a really great mix of like total control, but also comfort, lightness, um, control, and freedom for both the horse and the rider. That's just sort of kind of wonderful to to read about and see like videos of um contemporary observation of mongolian horsemanship is generally always tinged with some degree of awe um just at the absolute sort of beauty and grace with which even just the lowliest of mongol herders was able to command a horse um so this isn't just like oh they had like this warrior class of people that learned how to do this like you hear about you know the samurai in japan is a good example or knights in medieval europe and you're like oh wow they were really impressive but like yeah, that's just like a small group of people. It's like, nah, man, pretty much every Mongol could do this shit. And that's another reason that they were so formidable. Yeah, is that hor- like, you know, like horseback knights weren't exactly common in medieval. No, era. not even close. There's right? a reason that they were like, you know, the, it, like a, like heavy art, like heavy cavalry charge was so effective. Mm-hmm. It's because the other motherfucking people weren't on horses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and sorry, this has to go. <laughs> got to got to get that yeah, hangnail. Um. Right, yeah. Horses in most parts of the world are super rare. The average Mongol might have 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 fucking horses. And that doesn't mean, I mean, you know, at the upper ends, yeah, that's a sign of wealth. But, like, everyone's got a herd. There are very few yeah. people in this part of the world that don't you could have. switch in between horses when they were on campaign, yeah. too. I mean, well, but the horses like, are also, like, they're food. They're a trade yeah. commodity. They're everything. They're, they're your alcohol. They're, yeah, it's how you make your alcohol. <laughs> they would drink fermented <laughs> horse milk called airag. Um, which I didn't write into this episode, but we are going to talk about it later because the fucking Mongols like to party. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, I had a... I think this is probably maybe the professor I heard this from, but uh, one of my professors who... He was like a big like Mongol guy. He had like... Um, he was also like big in Afghanistan. Oh, I know. And, uh, like he had, he like partied with Abdul Rashid Dostum and shit. Like showed me pictures of him and uh, Dostum with like AKs. Um and he says that he he drank he partied with like Mongol like step peoples and like drank the fucking fermented milk. Yeah, you can buy you can buy it like bottled. It's it's yeah, yeah. They they take mare's milk and just like ferment it and skim out the whey or whatever and drink that and you get mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So back to the horses, right? <laughs> so the horses themselves uh, in in Mongolia, they're not like what you might have in mind when you think of like again like medieval knights on horseback, where they would have these big like war horses. Uh, Mongol horses are small um, and they're stocky. They're really robust. They they look kind of shaggy because um, they're not really coddled or groomed in the way that Western horses might be. They're kind of left out to like they don't brush them. They don't fucking. They just let them grow their natural long coat Mm -hmm. and they i mean they will sometimes have certain hairstyles depending on whether they're used for racing or whatever but um and they they just eat grass they just roam around and eat nutritious delicious step grass um but in actuality their treatment was generally way more humane than in the west um Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that the mongols were like big proponents of like animal rights uh but with horses specifically i mean horses were kind of sacred so, like, the way that you treated your horse could have really, really dire consequences. Uh, they didn't wear spurs. 
um, which just weren't really a thing in that part of the world. So they're not stabbing their horse every time they ride them. Um, they do take a small sort of soft leather whip with them, um, but they're not like beating the shit out of their horses. That was actually yeah. punishable by death. Um, and it was actually, it was taboo to strike your horse anywhere other than sort of on their haunches, like that big muscle in the back. So like yeah, the yeah, sides, the, haunch, the yeah. leg, the head, the face. You got a lot of, you got a lot of fat on the haunch. Yeah. Get, yeah. It was, so it was just for, though. I mean, again, I'm not like advocating whipping a horse, but like mm-hmm. compared to everyone else on the planet at this point, this is like yeah. they're in PETA. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're about as good as it gets in, well, I mean, in the 12th century. I mean, when your lifestyle depends on them, you're not going to mistreat them. No. They, and they, they love them. I mean, um, <clears throat> And so, as I said, there are many, like, sort of horse treatment-related offenses that are massively taboo, and, and generally things that are taboo in Mongol society, they don't have, like, a complex legal system. So, like, death. You know what I mean? Like, you break a, something that's taboo enough, you're just going to get, like, fucking killed or strangled, right? Because they didn't like yeah. to shed blood. That was considered, uh, outside of warfare, shedding blood was considered taboo. Um, yeah, wasn't there, um, they killed some, like, emir or uh, yeah. caliph? rolled him up in a carpet and stomped him to death in it because they didn't want him to, want to spill his blood. Yeah, yeah. There's also the famous story, and we'll come back to this, so sorry if this gets repeated later, but they had conquered some city like Bukhara or something, and they um, piled all the nobles out and like made a lattice of them and then put boards on top of them and had their victory feast on top of them listening to like the suffocating screams of the people below them. And like so who who knows up, if dude. that shit's true, but like even if that's just like the rumor about you, like that just goes to show like you're you're a terrifying group of people. Yeah, I mean it's a reason that a lot of people just immediately surrendered oh, yeah. when they saw Mongols. They're like, Yeah no School, man. Yeah, they 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 earned their <laughs> reputation. They were they yep, were you you are our new leash. Yep. Okay. All right. Um. <clears throat> so, in addition to riding their horses, uh, they did also eat their horses. Um. They also drank their milk, as we've said. They used their hides. They used their sinews. Their hair. Um. For all sorts of things, but all with like a great degree of reverence. So. You know, they're not wasting or, or whatever. They fucking loved horses. Horses permeate the culture in every conceivable way. It's 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 one of, if not the defining trait of, like, what it meant to be a Mongol at this point is that you are a horse person. You are a person of the horse. Um, <clears throat> so there's this another, and the, you'll, you'll come to find there are a lot of sort of sayings about the Mongols. They really earned a, a fucking cool-ass reputation. Um they say that a Mongol horseman could ride for days without stopping to rest because they would always have a herd of horses with them. And so they would jump from horse to horse and give the other horses, they'd have to run, but they wouldn't have a person on their back. So they get sort of a rest and they would just reach down and, and drink the milk of the horse and they'd make little cuts on the horse's neck and drink their blood. And so for like three or four days at a time, they just wouldn't have to stop. So it's how their, their armies could move so far so fast. Um, mm-hmm. Probably also like a lot of the stuff, a bit of exaggeration there, but um, yeah. just kind of a, an interesting uh, little tidbit there. This all sounds lovely, um, the horse thing, um, and 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 really it wouldn't pose any real cause for alarm, except that in addition to their mastery of the horse, uh, as I mentioned, they've they've also mastered the craft and the use of a second tool, the recurve bow. So yeah. <laughs> you should at this point just Google a Mongol bow. Um, because I'm not going to be able to describe it in adequate detail, but um, <clears throat> it would look really small and kind of delicate uh, to a medieval European who would probably be used to, say, an Italian crossbow or like a massive English longbow, which mm-hmm. were huge and whatever. Um, these recurve bows 
were different. They're a much more elegant weapon. However, fired way fucking faster. Oh too. yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're superior in basically every way yeah, to yeah. at this point pretty much every other ranged weapon on planet Earth, um, yeah. and for a few reasons. So they are small, but their construction is really complex and ingenious. So rather than just being like a big piece of strong wood, like an English longbow, they're made from multiple layers of wood, uh, sinew, and strips of like like ibex antler um, that are held together made with natural glue made from animal bits. And the process of making them is really long and complicated. Um, and when it's unstrung, the bow looks kind of like a little, like a wooden hoop. Um, Again, just look it up. Uh, you'll see mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Um, but those different layers have have varying tensile strengths and potential energy, so that when the bow is strung and bent back, you bend it. It's recurved, so you don't bend it in the direction yeah. of the natural curve. You bend it back, so the tips point out away from the person firing. Um, the potential energy in these weapons is fucking massive. So even though they're smaller and generally easier to draw, they're actually firing further, faster, and harder than just about every other bow on Earth. Like and an English longbow might like be... like a horse gallop, too. Right. Like, like it, they're it, on like a horse that's galloping, so that's giving it even additional speed. Right. It's like starting at like 30 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> an, an English longbow might have like an overall like more powerful shot, but like the strength required to use it, plus not for nothing, but like those things could be like six and a half feet tall. So like, yeah. you know, this is like Not a little compact portable bow that you can just carry with you and use on horseback, no problem. Um, and that right there, my friends, that's the fucking problem. That is the problem yeah. <laughs> with Mongols, is mounted archery. Um, yeah. It obviously had practical applications, hunting, protecting the herd, whatever, but it evolved into an absolutely devastating military tactic that was around for a long-ass time and stumped people for a long-ass time because it took so long and so much cultural acumen to get good, as they say in the in the, in the the souls community, um, yeah. at this shit that most people don't invest in learning it, right? Like, you can't teach a fucking medieval knight how to be as good at this shit as a fucking Mongol. Because like we said, like, Mongols are in the saddle at two years old. It's just, it's such a different world. Um, you're not going to get as good as they are. Uh, so tales of mounted Mongol warriors like shooting birds from the sky while they're fucking riding a horse. Like, can you imagine that shit? Like a bird flying a different direction nope. and you're on a horse. I cannot imagine and you're that like, shit. Like, and you peg it. And like, that's real. They used to do that. I'm not saying all the time, but like, you know, when you're trying to impress somebody, like sometimes they'd pull off some crazy shit. Yeah, after a few, uh, after a few... Uh, flasks of uh, fermented horse milk. <laughs> yeah. um, but also they would do a thing, and this is something that the, the the Plains Indians became famous for too, where like a Mongol warrior, they say, could loose like three or four arrows before the first one hit its target. Like just crazy shit. They were just, yeah. they were just that fucking good. Um, the Mongols were masters of the Parthian shot or the parting shot, which had existed, you know, among step horse warriors for centuries. Basically, I mean, this is like a fucking classic move. This is like a classic combo. So a mounted archer is riding away from you like they're retreating, and then they stand up in those stirrups, which not everybody had for a long time, and then they just turn around and start shooting behind them. You know, it sounds simple enough, but like actually takes a massive amount of skill to do. You're steering a horse with just your legs. Meanwhile, you're facing a totally different direction, and you're fucking pegging people with arrows. Like, that's impressive as shit. That's unbelievable. Um, 
They were also similarly adept at the Cantabrian Circle, um, which might be where that Killing Crescent thing kind of comes from, um, which basically is just... So imagine you're in like a group of infantrymen. And you see a group of horse archers approaching you, and so you've got your pikes and your shields set up, kind of like an ancient Greek might. And you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. good luck charging these spears, right? The only problem is these guys weren't charging you to like crash into you like a heavy cavalry charge. They just shore up outside of spear range and start riding in circles around you, fucking firing arrows into the middle. And there's nothing you can do <laughs> until eventually you either break and run away or everybody's dead. And so yep. you're sitting there like, hey, that's not fair. And they're like, I, I don't, you know, fucking, huh? Like, I won. I don't know what to tell you, man. And so they're they're just they have all these like fucky tactics where they just absolutely destroy people. Uh, my favorite Mongol trick, which sounds like something from the circus, but was actually apparently like pretty common and just uh, this was witnessed many many. Times. Oh yeah, I was about to say I also remember hearing about this one. Yeah, but I couldn't remember. Oh, this if is I just it's cool as shit. So yeah. so a rider in <laughs> combat, right? They would slip out of their saddle completely. They'd have one foot in a stirrup and they would lay flat along one side of their horse in motion, like while the horse is running. Yeah. And so the body of their horse is basically like a shield between them and their enemy. And then they would just pop up over the back or literally under the horse's head while it's running that's and fucking so peg people with arrows. Like, psycho shit. And that's not like like a one-off thing. Like, oh, like they that, say yeah, this guy did like this. Like no, this is like a thing that just they did all the time. They could just do, like, circus shit. It was crazy. And it sounds like, like, anime shit. Yeah. You know? No, right. They, they, were, they were just that good. Um, yeah. And so I think, like, I just wanted to really hammer home, like, we're not talking about like you know some basic shit like these dudes to like almost to a man, um, you know because fucked. they fucked hard and they like they were all that good like every single Mongol yeah. almost could do some version of this shit. You know they might not all have been able to do every little trick, but every Mongol man and woman, frankly, was expected to but be able to ride and shit, shoot yeah. and be pretty fucking good at it. So, um. So it's, it sounds like it might be made up, but this sort of absolute mastery of horse archery, it's it's extraordinarily well attested. And frankly, I think the eventual results of the application of this against the armies of Europe and Asia sort of stand as enough proof. Like the fact that they look at look at a map of the Mongol Empire. I think that's like all the proof you need. Like this shit works. Tried and tested, yep. you know. Um so all this to say, to reiterate, they've been kind of hardened by their environment and their particular lifestyle into tough, resilient, hyper-clever, brutal warriors. Um, they don't have all the frivolous trappings of like a warrior class like the Europeans or other East Asian peoples. Every single Mongol is a warrior, just like every Mongol tended the herd and every Mongol hunted and every Mongol made bows and made tack. They're all just like complete, complete step people. Um, the steps suffer no weakness. Um, it's a very hard place to live. And so indeed the people who call it home have historically, not just the Mongols, but the Huns, the Scythians, the Sarmatians, they've just been some of the absolute greatest fighters that the world has ever seen. And, you know, in the 12th century, the Mongols are like the perfect exemplars of this. Um, they just need some charismatic guy to like pop up and kind of point them in a direction and say, go. And that guy is going to come. Uh, believe me, because otherwise we, we wouldn't really have much of a series here. Um, just don't, 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 don't at me about like missing shit, because we're gonna talk about Paisas and him. fucking all kinds of and more about Tengriism and combat you tactics and all that stuff. But just wanted to give you an overview of 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 the Mongols themselves. But I did also want to talk about briefly uh, the world 
uh, or at least the world that the Mongol conquests are going to directly sort of impact. So let's depart from looking at the Mongols and take a quick glance at the rest of it. All the rest of what's going on and who's, uh, da -da 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 -da, who's popping around out here on planet Earth. So isolated though the steppe might seem, it is surrounded on all sides by a wide array of different regions and cultures, uh, all of which are going to end up playing a role in our story. If you look at Mongolia on a modern map, which again is larger than the traditional territory of the Mongols, but for our purposes it'll work just fine, uh, you'll see what I mean. 
to the north, you have Siberia, which was sparsely populated by, you know, other nomadic groups sort of related to the Mongols, um, but which was increasingly coming under the influence of the Slavic states to the west. So chief among those was the proto-Russian state of Kievan Rus, centered around Kiev. Uh, this is the state purportedly founded by Vikings in the 9th century, and their cultural grip, grip on uh, the northwestern Eurasian boundary was growing steadily. To the south, and a little bit to the east, because the ocean comes up pretty quick, uh, but to the south and then a little to the east, um, there are the Chinese Song Dynasty, which is just entering the reign of the Emperor Gaozong, uh, who inherited a protracted conflict with the Jurchen-led Jin Dynasty, which directly borders the Mongol lands, uh, which is situated in modern kind of northeastern China, Manchuria, a little bit of the northern Korean peninsula. Uh, so the Song uh, was a native Han Chinese dynasty. The Han being like the predominant, when you think of like a quote Chinese person, I think yeah. the Han is like the, the largest demo there. Um, <clears throat> uh, and that, them being a native Han dynasty, was still the norm at that point. Hint, hint. But it's not going to be forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Though many, many contemporaries felt that it had descended into decadence, and it was hinted at that perhaps the rulers had lost the mandate of heaven, which we talked a little bit about in our Opium War episodes. Uh, the mm -hmm. rulers of China, the ruling dynasties of China, uh, were said to possess the mandate of heaven, which gave them the divine right and ability to justly rule and govern the land. And when they lost that mandate, disaster would come, whether that was in the form of natural disasters or human disasters, such as... These Jurchens. Mongol disasters. Uh, well, eventually Mongol disasters. <laughs> um, but the Jurchens are going to get fucked by the Mongols pretty hard, too, in a couple years. Um, yeah. But so right now, the Song have their hands full with the Jurchens, who are sort of like, I guess you could say, distant cousins to the Mongols. They're another sort of steppe people. Um, but they've ended up usurping a ton of control in northern China and, and Manchuria and sort of created their own kingdom. Um and in doing so, in the eyes of the Mongols, and maybe in the eyes of posterity, have become kind of uh, complacent or, or, or soft. Um, they've settled down into governing, and they no longer travel with the herds and, you know, worship the great blue sky. They're getting into, like, Taoism and fucking Confucianism and shit. And all these, these womanly trappings of Chinese culture that the Mongols yep. wouldn't suffer well, until they do the same thing. But whatever, we'll get there. Um so then to the west and the southwest, Islam uh, was by far the most dominant cultural force, having exploded out of the Arabian Peninsula roughly 500 years prior to this uh, and spread across the Middle East, North Africa, into Iberia, and well into the hinterlands bordering the steppe. Uh, indeed, many of the Turkic peoples to whom the Mongols were sort of tied by blood and culture had long since embraced Islam as their chief religion. Some of those peoples are going to end up forming the uh, the Ottoman Empire, which very shortly mm -hmm. will become a thing, but at this point isn't quite a thing yet. Um, in, uh, <clears throat> in 1162, the Abbasid caliphs still held on to the peninsula itself, the Arabian Peninsula that is, as well as vast swaths of land to the north and to the east, uh, their capital city of Baghdad has become one of the most glorious cities in human history. Uh, it's a renowned center of learning and culture. Seriously, if there's a city in 1162 on Earth that you want to live in, it's Baghdad. Um, it's not yeah. going to be super chill there for too much longer. Uh, again, yep. wink, wink, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> but right now, yeah, it's some not that chill shit. Yeah, dude. Go down. <laughs> one thing you should know is like this is uh, like in case you haven't caught on. 
like we're leading up to the Mongols doing a bunch of fuck shit. <laughs> like they're, they're everything I'm describing. The reason I'm describing it is because the Mongols are going to go there and they are gonna do bad stuff to the people there. They're gonna say you can either surrender peacefully. Yeah. Or we will do bad things to you, yeah. and literally every single time one of those two things happens. Yeah, it's one or the other. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't lose, especially under Chinggis. They don't lose. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like that's why he I literally hurt. until they just decide to become Buddhists. They're like, uh, yeah, it's a combination of factors, and it's sad, yeah. and we'll get there. I mean, it's probably for the best of the the earth yeah. that it didn't last forever. But yeah. although I don't know, the Pax Mongolica was pretty legit. Anyway, yeah. but then they're just like, yeah, now we're we're pacifists. Yeah, now. we're just we're nice now. <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway suffice it to say baghdad is just like the, the greatest city on the planet at this point um don't let the the rise of fundamentalism and then the united states going over there and like bombing it to shit like change your view of it as like a medieval city of mm-hmm. literal wonders like uh, of all the places i could go back in time and see it's it's very near the top of the list i would love to see like 11th or 12th century baghdad it was probably fucking insane yeah so like the Song dynasty in China, the Abbasids have maybe grown a bit complacent in their power, but much like their Chinese counterparts, they are still massively wealthy and powerful and just not to be fucked with by almost anybody, you know? <laughs> there, there are some people who might decide to fuck with and find out, but yeah. um, most people are still too afraid to mess with either of these two big powers. Yeah. So north from here, uh, the Byzantine Empire is still standing. And will for a few hundred more years, uh, though it is much diminished from its former glory as the successor state to the OG Roman Empire. Um, they still call themselves the Roman Empire. 50 years from the Fourth Crusade, so which will basically be kind of like the, the hammer that drops and basically spells the end for it. Yeah, the third and fourth are both coming up. Um, at this point, the first two have already happened, and we'll talk about that in yep. a minute. Um, but yeah, the Byzantines are still, they're still holding on. Um, the problem is they really are complacent. I mean, they're clinging to old ways as the world around them is changing very rapidly. Um, the Muslim powers to the south and the Turkic lords of Anatolia are just, like, looking at them and licking their lips. Uh, mm-hmm. But for now, they do still have the Theodosian walls in Constantinople. So the capital itself is, is up till now, uh, yeah. impregnable. Um, so yep. the emperor who at yeah, this point Yeah, those walls is, are just waiting for some cannon fire. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that's not going to be in this series of episodes, but... Yeah, Mehmet's coming down the line, and he's got some big ideas for those walls. Yeah, he's uh, got a big <laughs> onion on his head and some big ideas know, for those walls. He does walls. have an onion head hat. <laughs> um, so the emperor right now in in, in Byzantium is Constantine the Tenth, um, and he at least knows he's safe in his city. He might lose everything else around it, but Constantinople itself, which is Istanbul, which is Constantinople, uh, is safe. Mm-hmm. Which is Byzantium. Uh, the Byzantine realm is also at this point, the largest stronghold of Orthodox Christianity um, because the East-West Schism has happened. That happened in 1053. It's been about 100 years. The bishops have split away from the primacy of the Pope, um, and the Pope is really just going fucking crazy over this past century, like I said, and we'll talk about him in a second. Uh, So the rest of Europe is in what we think of as the High Medieval Period. Uh, The Holy Roman Empire is nominally the dominant political force in Central Europe, and they're extending their tendrils when they can uh, in every direction. Um, to the east, you have the relatively new Kingdom of Hungary, um, which we talked a little bit about in the Vlad the Impaler episode. They're just becoming a major powerhouse. Poland. To the east of the HRE. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. We're so this next part I'm going to be referring to things in like relation to the HRE. Um yeah. Holy to make Roman that clear. Empire. So the Holy Roman Empire is in the center and then I'm going to talk about everything around that. Um <clears throat> uh so Hungary, Poland, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, um Bohemia, they all hold massive sway and maintain the borders of Christendom against the advance of Muslim conquerors. To the south of the HRE, uh, the merchant republics of Venice and Genoa have begun to expand their hold over the Mediterranean, while the Italian kingdoms kind of squabble over control of the peninsula, former heartland of the the, the real Roman Empire, not that HRE bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and the merchant republics are doing some not chill stuff as yeah. well. Oh, uh, super not chill. <laughs> like, very. The Doge of Venice is not a nice guy no, ever. No, no, no. no Doges. No. Yeah. He's like the, the original <laughs> Jeff Bezos. He's just yeah. like a fucking venture capitalist who's willing to do fuck shit yeah. to make that money. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is really kind of around the start where you sort of start to see uh, what would become capitalism. Yeah. yeah, it would really take Britain in like the 16th, 17th centuries to really start unifying it. But yeah, you have like even things that kind of look like uh, like basically like wall street happening in the merchant republics mm-hmm. like trading some stocks and shit like that yeah it's it's starting to get bad it really is yeah um to the north of europe the fury of the north norsemen northmen has quieted mm-hmm. and been replaced by a series of increasingly powerful kingdoms so the viking age is over um but you've got sweden norway and denmark as unified christian kingdoms and they are uh centralized and single and ready to mingle they are becoming big players on the, the, the new medieval geopolitical stage. Uh, the Normans have ruled a unified England for nearly a century, and uh, Scotland is there. What's up, Scotland? Scotland's a kingdom. Um, you know, <laughs> that's cool. Um, yep. <laughs> and in France, the Capetian dynasty is going strong. Um, these two are pretty preoccupied fighting each other um, and yep. going to crusades and shit. Iberia... Uh, is in full-blown Reconquista mode with the northern Christian kingdoms of Portugal, which, shout-out Portugal, they just formed... Shouts out Portugal. Like 20... What is it? 1162? So 23 years ago uh, at this point. And of the the kingdoms in England, they have the longest standing modern borders. Yeah. Portugal has been modern Portugal for longer than I think most or many other countries in Europe. Yeah. Leon, Navarre, Castile, Castile, and Aragon. Aragon... Um, and they're fighting, at this point, the successor states because uh, the Emirate of Cordova has splintered. And so now it's all the Taifas and stuff, which we talked a little bit about in mm. our um, Cortez episode. And now all my people are eating good. <laughs> yeah, dude. There. I don't know about good, <laughs> but the, the clams and the potatoes. Oh, no potatoes yet. Yeah. They don't have potatoes yet. I can't imagine oh. they're eating good. There's no peppers yet either. There's no peppers. Well, there's no potatoes. They're just eating, like, salt fish clams and Clams fucking... and pork. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just bacalhau, dude. Yeah, clams and fucking pork and bacalhau. probably bread. Nice bacalhau. Yeah. Yep. Maybe some nada, <laughs> nada, maybe a little bit, you know, for dessert. Yeah. Oh, and then so we mentioned the Pope. Uh, right now, it's Alexander the Third. Uh, unless you're a filthy Ghibelline supporter of anti-Pope <laughs> Victor the Fourth. Hell yeah, dude. May he burn in hell. Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're going through some papal. Madness, oh man, right so now. the 12th century is sick. It's like it's yeah. my favorite period of time on planet Earth because there is so much shit going on. It's it's so part of why I love the Mongol conquest is because they happen at such an already like bananas time. Like there's just so much going on, and then on top of it, like 
just the most insane fucking invasion ever conceived just happens on top of like all this other shit. Yeah. So like Europe is going through like a mini renaissance. The 12th century renaissance is like a thing. Yeah. It's not when people talk about the renaissance, it's not the renaissance, but it's, it's a renaissance. Um, yeah. Like a return to literacy and uh, an advance in architecture and art and, and you know, whatever it's, there's, there's some cool shit going on in Europe. And then yeah, everybody just gets sidetracked and just scared of shit because... Yeah, we're still about a little over 100 years from one of my favorite popes, the poor bastard Pope Celestine V, mm. uh, who they, they couldn't, the cardinals couldn't decide, the College of Cardinals couldn't decide who to be the next pope. And so they voted for some dude that, like, Pope Celestine V that did not fucking want it. Mm. And he was forced to become pope, and but then, like, he, like, abdicates, and then they imprison him so that he doesn't become an anti-pope. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this dude's just like, what the fuck, bro? Like, I don't want any of this yeah. for, like, six months, and then he dies, I believe. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I maybe fucked up some of the details, but, <laughs> yeah, Pope Celestine V, he was a, a very unfortunate pope. Well, poor, poor him. Yeah, just get, he was like, I don't want to be Pope. And they're like, well, you're certainly not going to be anti-Pope yeah, then. Yeah, right? <laughs> just fucking imprison yeah. him. Like, um, like, but so right now, Catholicism is dominating shit in Europe. Uh, the Pope's mad rich. It's looking pretty dope for Rome in general right now. Um, yeah. Like I said, there's even been a couple crusades. The first one actually went pretty well. And for the next yeah. 30 or so years, the kingdom of Jerusalem still exists. The Christian yeah. kingdom of Jerusalem um, it's heavily declined at this point, um, and will be gone very shortly. Much like the game Crusader Kings, that yeah. kingdom never does too well. No, no. And turns out, when you're the the lone Christian kingdom, separated by lots of ocean or sea, and surrounded by a bunch of super aggro, very wealthy Muslim states, yeah, a little bit difficult to hold your own. It is. It is. <laughs> Uh, the second crusade was sort of a dud, but uh, and that whole trend is not gonna not gonna go very well going forward. Yeah, but that the first one, though, crusade as well. First one is the best. The <laughs> yeah. first one is the best. Um, so anyway, all this stuff is going on. Uh, the Pope is having a great time. It would be a real crying shame if some super spooky guy were to come along and make folks just question if God even existed in the face of the fucking wanton carnage and slaughter that's about to happen but just spit you know just spit spit you know. we don't have to worry about hypotheticals um and so anyway like i said it's not the whole world uh but it is the world that is going to mostly be impacted by directly the coming events in our narrative uh thankfully for the folks in africa and the indian subcontinent chingus isn't going to make it that far um i'm sure he would have if he could have you know so don't you know he would have taken your shit if he could have but it's just it doesn't he doesn't get there um also, uh, the New World is still totally unknown to conventional written history at this point, and so we're not going to shine a spotlight on those lovely innocent folks either. They escape Chinggis unscathed. Um, and did I mention, oh, the last thing I want to say, this whole world that I just outlined, it's all sort of connected very tenuously by this long overland trade route or group of trade routes, which are sort of amalgamated together under the direct control of a hundred different polities known to posterity as the silk road you've definitely heard of the silk road so have this you seen is this? have you heard about this, this is like the last main for sort of player even though it's not in and of itself like a, an independent thing it's sort of the last it's a piece thing to keep in mind it's a thing to keep in mind so there's this silk road and so this is the main thoroughfare for trade between east and west 
Um, folks aren't really at the uh, circumnavigating the globe type stage just yet. And the Venetians and the Genoese, they really just stick to the Mediterranean. So for now, major trade is all overland. So silk and spices and all that shit, which is mainly, you know, one directional. And then there's money heading towards Asia. Um, any disruption of that would or could be totally devastating or or it could also lead to an unprecedented cross-pollination of ideas and invention that would forever alter the entire face of the globe could. or nope. both of those things could happen simultaneously and Shit. literally nobody would have any kind of fucking notion of how to conceptualize the total life-changing shit that's about to transpire but who knows what we do know what we can always know at this point in 1162 is that in the midst of all of this, in a small yurt at the base of the Kenti Mountains, near the Onon River, a cute little itty-bitty baby boy is born in the year of the horse. His name is Temujin, and he is destined for great things. And that is the background starter episode to my Mongol series, and I hope that you've all enjoyed it, because I'm very excited about it, and there's so much cool shit to talk about. Yep. And uh, I'm glad we got all that stuff out of the way. Yeah, and not too long of an episode. No. Very nice. No, because I, I really just fucking plowed through it. So, yeah, so I don't know exactly what our uh, recording schedule is, but the next yep. episode that I do will be part two of this series, and it will be uh, – we will start to talk about Temujin. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. that little bitty baby boy. Now that you know what he is and where he is and who's around him, um we're gonna talk about him and his his story and it's pretty fucking bonkers like his he does not have like a a low-key childhood he (laughs) goes on adventures and shit starts happening real young and he turns out to be like a bad motherfucker so yeah yeah just buckle up because this is this is such a cool story this is just such an awesome like human drama that is i'm very very excited to talk about and we will explore it in future episodes. We shall. Uh, anything that uh, you would like to add? Any any cliffhangers or questions you want to leave our listeners with or that you have leading into? Uh, no. No? Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, I will see you soon, and we will see you all pretty soon. <laughs> in another week. In another week or so. And yep. uh, thanks for listening, as always, yep. to the Left on Red podcast. Uh, if you like the podcast, rate and review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can uh, rate it on Spotify. And I remember that we spread by word of mouth. And uh, so if you can, tell people about us. Mm-hmm. It really helps us out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so with all of that said, we'll see you next time. Adios.